It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs. By the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. Hey, everybody. We're back at it here on the Airhead 247 podcast. And welcome back. We'll pick up our conversation with Leo Goff in just a moment. But first, a couple hellos from some folks who wrote in. First off, to Henry in Toronto. Uh, he is a self-described slash five novice. Uh, I guess he just got his bike. He writes in requesting he wants to hear from more mechanics north of the border. So, Henry, we've got you covered. We've made some connections there, so stay tuned for that. Also, greetings to Tom in Maryland, who wrote in with pictures of his newly acquired R100R Classic. That's the last of the Airhead R100Rs in black with the white pinstripes, a beautiful bike. Some of you may remember we talked about that on a previous episode, that exact bike, as a matter of fact. And we just want to say, wow, Tom, what a bike. Congratulations on the purchase, and thanks for tuning in. Our first episode with Leo Goff was a bit light on the Airhead content. However, we heard from many of you, and I agree with the sentiments from folks who wrote in that Leo's just a wonderful storyteller. Last week's episode sort of sets the stage for our program this week. So let's rejoin the chat with Leo Goff in Memphis, Tennessee, already in progress. Well, all right. So let's talk a little BMW stuff. You mentioned let's it talk there. BMW. Let's talk. So <clears throat> you're messing with uh, Norton. That was your focus. How did uh, how did the Airheads and that era? What introduced me to BMW? Yeah. Okay. At the time, the biggest BMW made was an R69s, and that was their high performance model. Well, hell, a 500 Triumph out would, would run in high from an R69S, not to mention a 750 Norton. But I liked them, you know, and everything. And, and, and uh, I, I had people to bring them to me to work on. Uh, Bill Leo was the, uh, the Leo family. Leo's cycle sales was the BMW dealer. And, uh, and I was already, you know, doing machine work on the heads, boring the cylinders and everything. And I'd clean a slinger up every now and then for, for a person. And... Uh, but they were a good dealer. They were very good. And they were also very good friends of mine. And uh, so I was I was riding my motorcycle to see a friend of mine a lot. And I noticed out in the front yard of this house, um, this was before I opened my shop. I think I might have been still in high school. Because he's 6667. But I noticed an old BMW sitting out in a front yard with, I noticed a motorcycle sitting in that front yard with a tarp over it. And, it, and, it, and after about a year, it never moved. So, you know, curiosity, I pulled, I pulled over one time, I went up in the yard and looked at it, and it was an R60 slash two. I go knock on the door. 
And this typical Southern woman, about five, six, five, seven, about 200 pounds with three screaming kids, two babies in her arms, come to the door, can I help you? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm worried about this motorcycle. So what about it? I said, well, I've seen it out here for a couple of years. It's never moved. She says, that bottom of that son of a bitch husband of mine. I said, well, see here? He ain't been here in three years, and we don't know where he is. And uh, anyway, I said, was the motorcycle for sale? She said, you want to buy it? I said, yes. Yeah. You got a title on it? Yeah, my lawyer said I could sell it. What do you want for it? She said, I'll take $400 for it. I went and looked at it. The right-hand cylinder head was off of it. I said, do you have the parts for it? She says, there's some parts in that garage. I went out there, and he had a bunch of old BMW stuff just sitting around. had an old R27 back there, parts of an R27. So I said, I'll buy that thing. So I bought it, and I took it home. <laughs> and I went up there to Leo's, and I said, hey, Billy, he says, I just bought this R27 that belonged to so-and-so, so-and-so. She says, oh, that's Daddy Rabbit's bike. I said, Daddy Rabbit? She says, yeah, I says, he's a local colorful character. I said, he's, he's always getting drunk and getting in fights and stuff. I said, getting in fights and stuff? Yeah. yeah, he says, yeah, he's only about five, six, two hundred, no, you know, 150 pounds, you know. He said, yeah, I said, he, he, he ran off, left his wife with those kids in that house. Nobody's seen him. And I said, well, I said, I'm going to put the bike, I bought the bike and put it. He said, oh, yeah. He says, says uh, you know, so I bought some gas. I, I put the thing back together, and I'd ride it. <laughs> I didn't ride it much, but but I enjoyed riding it, yeah. you know, and uh, cleaned it up, you know, polished it up. And everything. It looked pretty good. It wasn't too too terribly rusty. A lot of little patina on it, you know. But anyway, so anyway, I'm in there one time. I'm we're sitting at the counter and I'm talking to Billy and he's talking. And this guy comes comes walking in. And little he's about 50 years old. And Billy looks at me and winks at me. And I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? So here's that. And so Billy says, Daddy Rabbit, where you been? He says, Ah, oh, I got tired of that, you know what, and everything. I had to go down to New Orleans for a little while and everything. Said so I came back, said the you know, the bitch sold my motorcycle. I sure wish I could find the guy who bought that, I'd whip his ass. And I was a pretty big boy back then. I wasn't big and fat, I you know, and everything. And so Billy Billy starts laughing. And I start laughing. The guy looks up at me and he and he looks at Billy and says, What's so funny? He said, see that guy standing next to you? He said, yes. He, he owns your motorcycle now. Well, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm just kidding about all that ass whipping stuff. Said, he said, is it running good? I said, I got it running good. You had the head off of it. He said, yeah. He said, I didn't adjust my valves or one time and the valve you know, when they're, you know, stuck in the guide or, or had valve seat recession or something, you know. And so anyway, so I fixed it and everything. He says, uh, well, okay, well, I hope you enjoy it. You know, just friendly as can be, you know. And, uh, you know, hell, I wasn't, but, you know, probably 18 or 19 years old, you know, and I 
pretty good back then, you know, so. That's a great story. But, uh, and then uh, when I opened my shop, I started working on BMWs. And one of the funniest things, the BMW people, they're a different breed. You know, we know that. You yeah. Know, you know, and we can talk about that because we're one of them, you know. <laughs> I was, I never forget, I was sitting in my shop on a Saturday. I would close it two on Saturdays. I got a phone call. He said, this is so-and-so, so-and-so. I can't remember the name. He said, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. I understand you're a good BMW mechanic. I said, well, I know my way around them pretty good. He said, I've got a problem with my bike. I don't think it'd be hard to fix, but I need somebody to fix it. And I said, what kind of problem you got? Well, I'll show you when I get there. I said, well, I, I close it, too. This is 10 in the morning. He said, well, I'm over here in Forest City right now. I'm coming that way. So... Anyway, he shows up on a pristine R69S. Got the damn Avon, you know, fairing on it and those bags and everything. And the bike sitting out there, man, just counting them off like a damn Swiss watch. And I said, what's wrong with the bike? He says, come out here and I'll show you. He honks the horn. And it had those twin high-low horns Trump, on it. Kind of the trumpet-looking horns. Yeah. yeah. And he says, listen to that. And I'm listening to it. And it did sound out of tune. Because there's supposed to be, I think one was, you know, one was an octave or, 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 or third or fifth or the other one, you know, or something. And uh, he said, this just bothers the hell out of me. He said, can you fix that? I said, well, there's a little Phillips screw with a lock nut. I said, yeah, I can fix that. So anyway, so I said, hold down the horn button. So I tuned it until it was in harmony. Like, well, tight, like, oh, that's so good. Nobody in Little Rock would even touch it. Well, I know why they wouldn't touch it, because the guy was such a, you know. Persnickety guy. Persnickety guy, they yeah. were scared to touch his bike. He said, well, I know you. I said, fella, you don't owe me nothing. The story's worth everything. <laughs> and he looked at me funny. I said, have a nice day. And, uh, and uh, but that, you know, but the bike was great. I wish I had it today. I don't have an R69. Well, yeah, let's talk about a couple you got in here. So uh, we're looking at, uh, among other ones, you've got a 77 RS. Which... Bought that brand new from the Leos. It was the last one they sold before he, before he let the dealership go. And uh, that, that bike was an expensive bike back then. It was. I forgot. He gave it to me at dealer cost. <clears throat> I think back then dealer cost was that thirty two, thirty three hundred. I think. Bought that. Okay. Now then, my next BMW. I drove that for a long time. My next BMW was the K one hundred RT. So that. That 77 was the only airhead you had for a while. The only airhead besides my slash two that I had. Yeah, okay. Uh, was the only airhead I had at the time. And uh, I was I was already very heavily involved in, in doing BMW work by that time. Well, tell me, what was your impression of the RS, you know, when you first bought it? I mean, it was a... It was a revelation. It was, yeah. It was a revelation. And, uh, and I started to buy an R90S... But they were sold out of. I got an R90s now, but but back then they, they I couldn't get any more. 
I wanted to buy a new bike. I didn't want to buy yeah. it. I wanted a Daytona Orange R90S. Anyway, but he said, we got these coming out. You need to look at them. That, was, that fairing was designed in the Motoguzzi wind tunnel. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's a Heinz Muth design right there. But anyway, but I bought that. Wrote, wrote, made a lot of touring on that thing. All over the country. Got, got a set of, uh, you know, uh, bags. bags. You know, it's funny. I just saw those up there. I have a, uh, this, this is kind of a sad story. So, you remember I had the sister bike to that. Right. You had right. one at Arkansas. He bought the same thing. Yeah. And now it's, and now Fred's got it. Your buddy Fred's got it. Okay. So, it came with those saddlebags. That's right. Those, I put those on there. Those Krauser bags with the red, the red decal red. on there. Exactly. Right? I've when I sold Fred the bike, I kept the bags. I had I had those bags ever since I bought that bike out of uh, Dobbs Shop or whatever. When was that? Two thousand one. I restored it for Jimmy Dobbs. That's right. So anyway, yeah. I had, I sold that bike, but I kept the bags. And I of course I've had a bunch of different R bikes over the years. I looked up there just a few minutes ago and saw those. I have an orange ninety S Daytona ninety S, and I've been. I was using those bags on that bike. Last fall, October, I was out taking a ride uh, north of Mountain View, had the bags on. I don't really think I had anything in it. Maybe, you know, I might have had a sweatshirt or a pair of gloves or something Sorry. in the bags. I didn't put on a safety strap. The left bag fell off. I, Leo, I looked for two days oh, up and down that road. I was so pissed that oh, I lost Oh, man, it. what a... What what a uh, what a terrible situation! <laughs> I know, but then I saw those bags up there, and I just remembered yes, because I've had them all had them all those years from the uh, sister bike of that that RS. I still have the right one. Those bikes are pretty close to, to some uh, consecutive numbers. Yeah, you know. Uh, but anyway, so um, I got to where I was putting some miles in that bike. I said, I don't want to put any more miles in this bike. I want to keep it nice. The K-Bikes came out, so I bought a K-Bike and rode that thing all over. It's, it's a great bike. Doesn't have the soul. Doesn't have the soul of, of, of the airhead. But it's comfortable. It's got a great fairing. I rode that. I bought that bike two days later. We all left out of Memphis to head to Washington, D.C. And we went up there to Washington. We rode the Blue Ridge Parkway up here and then Skyline. And uh, then rode, we rode, then we're on the way back. We rode back down the skyline and back to Blue Ridge, and we took every side road. And we got caught in a blizzard in Bristol, Tennessee. It was, it was uh, early, no, early December. We ran through a damn snowstorm. But fortunately, it wasn't sticking on the road. We, we stopped overnight in Bristol, Tennessee. Came out the next morning, sun was shining. About three inches of snow all over the bike, brushed snow off. Rode on back to Memphis, and Barry Phillips was riding with me on his R90-6. Anyway, so I rode that bike for a while. Then the, then the opportunity arose. I found a uh, nice R90-S, a black one, smoking, and I bought it. Then I found a nice uh, R75-6, bought that. Then I found a nice uh, R90-6, which is back there with, with the other ones, bought that. And uh, then I found another R50 slash six and bought that. And uh, then a couple years ago, I, I got this Mystic. 
I always liked the Mystic last, you know, the last years, you know. Yeah. Bought that and I love that bike. Yeah, and I, then I the, this one, yeah, that's that's, that's four or five years old. And then the R9Ts came out. That's the hot rod, so I had to get that to flex my hot rod muscles. <laughs> so I got that and um, did a little breathe on a little bit, and boy, things that thing flies. That looks like a lot. That of thing fun. flies. And then you got this '77 uh, RS. And then I got here. this '77 about a year and a half ago. It was sitting neglected, and it looked like hell. And uh, but BMWs always have something to nail to. You know, you know, you go, you go, you go to look at an old house. Well, the roof might be damaged and the shingles might be done, but those old houses were built. You always had something to nail to, and it had a solid foundation. And BMWs got good bones, you know. So I got that thing, and remarkably, it came back to life with with some careful detailing. And if I hadn't started it yet. I think it set leaned over on its on the side stand for a while and accumulated moisture in the cylinders. So I'm gonna have to pull the top end down. Yeah. And probably go first or second over, depends depending on what it'll do, and uh, then do one of my trick head jobs on it and everything. But it'll it'll remain stock other than that. The amazing thing about that bike is it still retains the red original red paint. I know it. A lot of that got faded out. Yeah. And uh, but I think it was because it was that. And see those the seals mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, I can't recall. The name yeah, but there. those those were an option back then. Yeah. And uh, it's got those on it. But yeah, there's uh, fairy mounted mirrors there. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's something for me to get going here after I finish a couple of Norton restorations. I'm just about done with. And. So, uh, I want to ask you though, when you go getting back when you bought the RS in '77, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I want to look at the name on those mirrors. I, I can't remember. The what? The name on those mirrors. It's a German name. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a, bum, it's Talbot. What? Talbot. Talbot, that's right. Yeah. Talbot Pierce. Look at this goose here. I just got that held up. Yeah, that's sharp. It's not it's not done yet. I was helping Dave LeBeard out of Motor Works restore that. And he passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I bought it. Yeah, that looks good. I, I like the I like 83 850 Ambata, Eldorado. Remember the police bike I had? Yep, sure do. I miss that. That's Remember the one. Well. That's the one bike I sold that I that I miss. I, I love Guzzi's. I got these too. I got the cafe sport. Yeah, right there. I got the mom right there. One of the reasons so many airheads are still on the road today is because of great parts William and Edward Plam at Boxer 2 Valve have years of experience with the 247 Airhead, dating back to their first repair shop and dealership in the early 1980s. Boxer 2 Valve stocks and sources only premium parts and tools, so no need to worry if you're getting a cheap pattern or shortcut part. They simply don't carry them. Boxer 2 Valve has extensively researched which parts are correct for your motorcycle. Just enter your year and model, and you'll see only the parts that fit your bike. That takes the guesswork out of the ordering process. 
real-time stock information that is also available, so no need to guess what may be on back order that could delay your project. Also, if you're digging into a repair for the first time, be sure to check out Boxer 2 Valve's video repair series. These cover both twin shock and post-81 models and are great tutorials that go step-by-step -step through a variety of repairs and parts replacement procedures. The video series is a great workshop companion, one I've used many times over the years. So for all your airhead parts needs, Boxer2Valve.com. That's the number two, Boxer2Valve.com. Okay, so we're All right, so yeah, so I want to ask you about when you bought the RS, getting back to that. What, back on? Yeah, well, just I want to talk about that time period. I mean, so what you mentioned the guy that came from Little Rock. What, in, in your estimation, what was the reaction to the that era of airheads and it, was it a popular bike around here? Wasn't a popular no. bike? It was a niche bike. I mean, who was driving them? That Bill Leo was was the dealer. If he sold twenty bikes a year, he was doing good. Everybody, everybody down here. By the time by the time seventy seven rolled around, Honda, the 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 big Kawasaki's, the GS Suzuki's, the Katana, which is another Hans Muth bike, which is right there. You saw the Katana right there. Yeah. Yeah. 82 Katana. Um, those were the bikes people want and everything. The BMWs were, you know, they all laughed said, you're riding an old man's bike. You know, and I was in my late 30s, maybe early 40s and everything. Yeah, I said, but I like it. You know, I mean, you know, the, you know, first thing, the engineering appealed to my engineering side of me, you know. And uh, and I just, you know, I, you know, I, you know, hell, I'm, I'm almost full-blooded German. I've got 13% Scandinavian in me, according to all that stuff and everything. But my great uncle was a mechanical engineer for Bugatti in Alsace. I found out with all this ancestry stuff wow. and everything. Mother, mother, my, my great-grandfather was a sawmill engineer for the Krupp firm. And that's how the family ended up in the United States. He was hired by a uh, company here in town called Anderson Tully, which was a big hardwood producer when, when the upcoming and the burgeoning hardwood industry in Memphis was coming up, you know, in the 1800s, you know. And he came over here and built the sawmill up and down the Mississippi River, and the one here in town is still in operation. I went and got looked at it, but anyway. So you had some crap in your blood. Yeah, I guess. Um, you know, I love wiener schnitzel. And uh, I'm kind of an Anglophile too, you know, with the Nortons and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so. But yeah, BMW was was in Memphis, and the area was not a was not a popular motorcycle. No, I wouldn't think so. Uh, now up in Nashville, we had a good dealer, uh, Mr. Rees, Clyde Rees, Rees Motors, and he sold a bunch of BMWs, and when. And when uh, the Leo family let the dealer, the Leo family got mad at BMW because of Capital Cycle. That was uh, okay. So was that Butler and Smith was still handling? Butler and Smith was still the importers, yeah. and uh, Joe Saluzzo, I think, was the tech rep up there. But uh, anyway, people were people would would need a part for their for their BMW, and they go to Bill Leo 
And they said, well, he said, hey, I got it right here. It's five dollars. Well, Capital Cycle sent out this little the mail. mailer and everything. And the same part might have been three seventy-five or four dollars from, from them. They would buy it from they would buy Billy's part for him, put on the bike, order from Capital Cycle, and then come back and return the part to Billy. And he he got he got wind of that. And the Leo family are are fabulous people. Chuck Chuck's had a shop here and everything, but Chuck still flew his BMWs and NSUs and stuff. That's Bill's son. Bill's down in Florida now, retired. But he got to where he would put a little discreet mark, indiscreet mark on the part. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty clever. And so, and and Butler and Smith had no control over Capital Cycle. Yeah, they were getting their parts direct from Germany. From they probably, I, you know, I don't know how they did it. But they probably had a dealership over there that was selling them mm -hmm. huge amounts of parts at a, at a discount, you know. Anyway, so so Bill, you know, said, hey, y'all need to do something about this. He says. They're undercutting me big time. They're, you know, and everything. They said, well, we can't do anything. He said, fine, take it, shove it up, and you know what. And, he, and those two RSs were the last bikes he sold. Wow. He's a big Kawasaki dealer by that time anyway. And he was doing very well with Kawasaki. So he just said to hell with it. And uh, I, unfortunately, and then it went around, and BMW approached me three times, want me to take dealership. Really? Yeah. But the numbers weren't there, and the buy-in was so damn. And I'd already sold my, my dealership. I sold my motorcycle dealership in 1976 and just moved everything to, to, a, to a garage at, at my own home, and I was just you know, kind of restoring Nortons and BMWs. So that's what, you know, long, you know, about the time you made it. You know what? And I, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm not surprised you didn't do it because you've all, uh, you seem to have a pretty solid independent streak. Yeah. I don't see that you'd want to be tied to. Well, at the time they weren't making you jump through hoops like they are now. Okay. But they had all these requirements and everything. And, and, and they said, well, you should be able to, they told me, you should be able to sell 25 BMWs a year. And I'm saying, you want me to invest several hundred thousand dollars? I said, I'm gonna, and you're telling me I can only sell 25 a year? I said, I know how many I can sell. I, I sold Nortons yeah. and Lavertas, you know, and, you know, and everything. I said, I know what I can sell. I said, but, you know, the, the numbers aren't there. Well, you're, you've got a city this big and everything. I said, you don't understand Memphis. I said, Memphis is a big metropolitan area. At the time, it was, you know, almost getting to be a million, billion people regional-wise. I said, but the poverty level here is terrible. I said, you know, and, and, and we're, we're a high minority area. And, uh, you know, nothing, not, I'm not saying something's wrong with that, right. but minorities don't ride, didn't ride BMWs back then. Exactly, yeah. What, you know, and, uh, and, um, and I said, I said, we've got probably one half one percent of the motorcycle buying market to be a customer for BMW. And you say you don't want me to advertise out of my market area. Well, how can I how can I survive that? Yeah, because you would. You have to be down in Mississippi. You know, I was advertising. You know, my Norton trade worldwide. I was getting Norton stuff all over the world. You know, and. Um, and, and, and the whole key to operating a successful dealership, in my opinion, is service absorption. How much of the total overhead can the service department provide? 
I was running 104% service absorption when I sold my business and everything. The bike's on the showroom floor. Man, I, you know, man, if somebody looks sideways at a, at a motorcycle wanting to buy one, I'd sell it to them. Because it costs more to get the, it, it, you know, it costs a lot of money to get that person to walk in the door. I was across the street from one of the largest Honda dealerships anywhere, the oldest Honda dealership, Al's Honda, right down the street at the Kawasaki shop, right down the street from the uh, Suzuki shop. So when somebody walked into my shop wanting to buy a Norton, I, or, or Osa, or Hodaka, or whatever I happen to sell or use bikes, I, I, I you know, I put it out the door because I gave me customer. If I didn't make any money on the on the sale, that's okay. Sure, I'd make money on the service and the parts. Totally you know, and uh, and and my serv and I was working on everything. Kawasaki Honda doing a big had a big high performance business going on, and uh, man, just just I, people bring them seven fifty Hondas to me. I was putting eight thirty six skits in it. Uh, Kenny Harmon Cam. Um, Jardine Header, man, had a production line going. They buy them new across the street and bring them straight over to me before you, you know. <laughs> That's great. And well, uh, that just that that I can just. But imagine. getting back to the BMW, yeah. no, very few people buy them. But Mr. Reed started selling a bunch of them when when Billy got get rid of them, and that people were going from Memphis up there to Shelbyville to buy BMWs. And anyway, and I knew Mr. Rees, and a friend of mine. Chilty Sullivan, 1978, wanted a R100. They, they took an S model and they put a they 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 put a uh, Luffmeister fairing on it, called it an S Touring or something like that. Anyway, he wanted one of those. So I go up there, so Mr. Rees, and we was talking to him. He said, he says, and I I had not met him before, but we had talked on the phone. And I was getting some parts from him and stuff and everything. He said, well, you do a pretty good BMW business down there, don't you? I said, well, I'm just an independent shop, you know, and everything. He says, I said, but you're selling a bunch of bikes down there because they're, they're, I'm doing oil changes on them and working on them and stuff and everything. He said, yeah. He says, I know about you. I know your reputation. And, I says, and uh, he says, let me ask you something. He says, I can sell more bikes down there, but the people have, have a problem they, they, they feel like if they need some warranty work done and need the 500-mile service, they got to come up here to get it done. Would you be my arm down there? I said, I'd be happy to. I said, they got a warranty problem? Yeah, I'll fix it. Just you pay me the warranty rates because I was gaining the customer. Right. You know, and uh, so he said, well, we'll do that. So anyway, so about two weeks later, um. A fellow had a an R one hundred RT, and there was something that happened to the drive shaft. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it needed a new drive shaft in it. Mister Reese called me, said, "Can he bring that to you? Will you put drive shaft in it for me?" I said, "Sure." And uh, so the customer brought it to me over my house. You know, that shop. You know, yeah. my house. It was, it was a very elaborate shop, if you remember. You I know. do. Yes. And. Uh, and uh, so he came in. He already knew me. And uh, he said, Mr. Reed says, you're going to fix my bike for me. I said, yeah, I'll fix it. Let me give me a couple of days. I got to find out what it is, get the parts. So, so uh, Mr. Reed sent the parts down. I fixed it and everything. He said, boy, this is great. I ain't got to go back to Shelbyville anymore. 
and everything. I said, yeah, that's fine. I said, I'll be happy to have so I mean, Anyway, I'll do a 500-mile services on him and everything and, you know, you know, do a little carburetor tweaks. People come by. And I treat them just like a regular customer, you know, which they were, you know, and, you know, you know, spend 10 or 15 minutes on something would even charge. You know, I was building goodwill. Let me ask you this. So how did that dealer up, uh, out in Shelbyville, uh, you, were you certified tech, BMW tech? Did you have to be? How does, you're doing warranty work? I mean, what was, the, what was that? He was paying me to do the warranty work. Now, how he was handling his end, he, I guess he was just filling the forms out and dealing with, he was paying me, he sent me a check. Yeah, okay. You know, and eventually I, I, I made a deal with him where I wouldn't even get money, I would just have him give me parts, you know. And uh, he was selling me parts at his cost, and uh, which was great for me. Yeah. And, uh, cause it wasn't a BMW dealer down here, so. Uh, so that worked. That worked until uh, until he got out of business, got sick, passed away. His son took it over and didn't do well with it, and and that was the end of that and everything. But I already I had a large BMW clientele. And what kind? You mentioned the drive shaft. That seems like an unusual fail. It was something very unusual. Uh, I don't remember exactly what failed on that thing, but I had to pull the swing arm off and put a drive shaft in it. What I, What other kind of? You know, you're saying oil changes, general service. That era bikes, you know, mid seventies and you know onward in the Airhead uh, uh, model run. What what kind of stuff were you seeing? Common failures, things like that, that you knew. Okay, the guys. The most common, you know, those bikes ran so well for so long. The most common thing I'd see was the point rubbing block going away because they weren't changing the points like they're supposed to and it would quit firing and they would lose the automatic advance unit and it would and it would hang up in the idle they come in and say my bike won't idle down past 2000 okay when when's the last time you put points in it and lube the spark advance I said huh <laughs> okay drop it off pick it up tomorrow yeah. you know and uh and uh and then then your normal things push rod tube seal leaks yeah um uh, a lot of fallovers and tearing up the head, the valve covers, you know, knock, knocking the eight millimeter stud out of the center and the, and the two little six millimeter studs, having to weld those up, you know, and uh, tire changes. Uh, they always would neglect bearing services and they'd lock the bearings up sometimes on the wheel bearings. Fix that. Um, you know, what's interesting there, though, is what you're mentioning is a lot of it's user end maintenance, not necessarily a failure of the, the bike. Wasn't the bike failing, it was the owner failing to serve it to, to follow the recommended service procedures. Yep. And and they get when they, and when they come in the other new bikes from, from Reese, I said, look here, all this stuff means something. I said, if you do not follow this recommended service procedure, I can guarantee you one thing, you're gonna have problems. If you do follow it, it won't mean that you won't have a problem. But if you don't follow it, you're guaranteed a problem. <laughs> you know. And you know the those owners' manuals back then were great. They were great. You know. They had all the the you know mileage and you know all the service intervals. I remember one of the early. I think it was a slash five. It might have been a slash two. Talking about two up riding, and it said if you're riding two up with your passenger, 
especially if she is an attractive young lady. <laughs> I remember you that know? in there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, wow. Right. You know. One of the funniest things I ever saw was in the bull. I sold, I was the ocean dealer too. And the bull, and, and so we got some bull tacos in to work on. And one of the early bull taco manuals, they lose, they lose things in the translation. Yeah. And the bull taco manual says, do not engage in a nut and bolt tightening contest with your motorcycle as you will inevitably win. In other words, don't strip, don't, don't strip your boats off, don't, you know, and everything, but all that stuff. But it was uh, some of the early Honda manuals were, were humorous in that way. Yeah, the transition. And, uh, but, 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 you know, but, uh, and then, you know, then BMW came to me again, want me to get a dealership when the K-Bikes were out. And, uh, I just thought at that point in my life, my age, and um, I also had an electronics business. Me and Marshall Miller had an electronics business. And uh, then me and my cousin had a had a, a Amco automatic transmission business too. So I was I, my, my plate was pretty full. Yeah. And, and uh, still playing music, you know. Playing a lot of music. Yeah. And uh, so I was real happy. You know, I was you know real happy with what I'm doing and. And at, at the time, it was about a it was about a three hundred thousand dollar buy in for BMW, and you had to have the corporate stuff. Yeah. And they wanted a building with so much and everything. I said, eh. I said, it. Will I improve my financial position by doing this? And I'm thinking, I don't think so. I don't think so. And like I said, I just. <clears throat> you've always had your hand in a lot of things. You're an independent minded guy. You like to work on your own. Exactly, and, and, and as far as the motorcycles went, I was into more of the specialty things. Now, I was really getting into a lot of the machine work and, and the restorations and uh, doing the heads. And Well, let's talk about that. So uh, before we uh, run out of time here, so a lot of folks uh, nowadays, when I say now, you know, past maybe 10, 15, 20 years, you used uh, Memphis Motor Works. You, do you still work out there some now? A little bit. A little bit, okay. Uh, but I mentioned that because that was sort of uh, your specialty, at least in the BMW and the airhead world. Not that there weren't other things, restorations, but you were kind of known for your head work. So I still get a lot of head work. I've, yeah. I've sitting there right now with about 16 sets of heads there to do. So what sets a good reconditioning job apart from a bad one? Or in other words, okay, what what are what are what what are you doing that that makes it? Uh, Better well, what I do, the first thing, I, when, the head, when the head comes in, I disassemble it. And then I look to see if there's any signs of somebody been in the, being in that head before me. A lot of this old stuff, especially Slash 2 stuff, there has been. Slash 2s have a problem with, with a cast-in spark plug insert that gets loose in the heads and creates a lot of problems. And, uh, and, and most time on the early Slash 2 stuff, and some of the, and the airhead stuff now, the head's been sent out to maybe an automotive machinist or something like that, and they grind the hell out of the seats and they shove the guides in improperly, and that that broaches the, the guide board. And so I got to look at all that. I got to figure out how to get all that back right and everything. Some of it's very involved. That spark plug thing is a big deal on the slash twos, and every and you know by the time I think I've probably done every one in the world, here comes another set. You know. <laughs> I've got special jigs and everything on my mill to do those with, and uh, but but generally I just look at them and I, I determine where the problem lies. Then, 
they all need, most of them need valve guides every time. And uh, so I developed a way of taking the valve guide out of the head. Most people take a punch, heat the head, and they, and they, they traumatize the head doing, knocking the guides out. You know, that's not a way to do it. Since this program launched in March of 2022, we've heard from a number of you telling us how much you enjoy it. So first off, thanks for tuning in and thanks for supporting us. To help continue our efforts here, we've partnered with the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who, coincidentally, are also fans and supporters of this program. The MOA is conducting a membership drive over the next several months. Their goal, to add 200 new members And to help them do that, we're offering a free one-year digital membership for Airhead 247 listeners. The membership includes discounts at hotels, their monthly magazine, great deals on roadside assistance programs, and a fantastic network of BMW owners that share your passion. To sign up, visit 247.bmwmoa.org. Complete the online form and use the activation code AIRHEAD. 247. Or go to the description section in this podcast. We've popped a direct link right there. We want to say thank you to the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America and thank you to you for supporting our efforts here with the podcast, where we'll continue to bring you unique history and insight into the world of the 247 Airhead. That website, once again, for your free membership, 247.bmwmoa.org. Use the activation code AIRHEAD247. The way I do it, it differs from a lot of people. I, I set up in my mill. I've got a, uh, well, we've actually got a, we've actually got a four-axis CNC mill now that's programmed. But but I would, but I got a, I got everything to. I set the head up and I bore the guide out and I bore it with I bore it and I leave about ten thousandths wall thickness. And I leave a register at the bottom, and I can take a, I, I can take a little driver I got and hit it with the palm of my hand, and that valve guy will collapse. So that's a real, a real non-destructive. Yes, yes, you know, a very gentle and friendly way of removing the guy, which is very important. And um, so we do that. Then, then at that point, I clean the head real good. We'll, we'll ultrasonic it, clean it, and uh, then we'll media blast it and look at it, inspect it real good. I measure that bore. I have I have a tremendous amount of highly precision measuring tools and instruments and things. Some things I've come up with myself. Some things I bought. And but you got to measure that that valve guide bore. You got to make sure there's no ovality in it. You got to make sure there's no taper in it for somebody driving a bigger guide in it. And uh, you got then you want to make sure that that guide bore is concentric with the valve seat. Okay. Uh, so, so we verify all that. Then once I'm satisfied that it's good, um, I'll look at the valve seats then. If the valve seats, we'll check the hardest of them, but if, if, if most, most time they need replacing on, on the slash two and, and the airhead stuff. So, so I'll, um, the way I get my valve seats out, I just run a Heliart bead around the inside of them. They shrink and they fall right out leaving the original bore, the counter bore for the valve seat, leaving the factory size there. Hopefully somebody hadn't put seats in before and driven them in and broached the aluminum all around it. If that's done, sometimes I have to weld it up, remachine it, 
I've got everything to do that with, and uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll fix them that way. But providing that that the seats are satisfactory, and I'm happy with them. We had some exhaust seat issues with some of the airheads in the '70s and '80s, and I've 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 developed. I've worked with uh, a company to come up with a uh, really nice alloyed valve seat to go in, to go in the airheads, and then we use that, and I use those in the uh, slash twos. And then the exhaust and the intake most time on on the uh, air on the uh, five six and sevens and, and later, it, should they need seats, just about every one of them needs needs exhaust seats. Anyway, so we put that in, and then I have a very very elaborate way of installing that seat. We 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 have a driver that centers up on the guide, and it's a, well, it's actually a mandrel, and I have a hydraulic press that that, that works on the from the valve guide side, and we freeze the guide with liquid nitrogen. Mm. We heat the head up 375 degrees or so in an oven that I have specially for that. And uh, then I have this little mantle that fits on it, and it uses hydraulic, and it, and it kind of pulls pulls the seat into place, and we have to do the same thing on pulling the guide into place, too. And then the guide has to be sized. And uh, I've got a Sun and Diamond Hone setup that we size the guy with, and I have all the gauges, the dowel gauges. I can check, I can check the size of the, of the guide up and down the entire length of the guide, because it's very important that that guide be concentric, straight, round, mm -hmm. and uh, and the same size at the top of the guide, and the same size at the bottom of the guide. And it's also very important that it has the correct clearance between the valve stem and the and the and the guide too to permit seizing, and. Uh, proper heat transfer and uh, you know your thermal path for cooling that cooling that valve especially exhaust valve the only the only time that, that valve gets a chance to really transfer heat is when it's in contact with the seat or <coughs> around the valve guide the valve guide's got oil in it mostly a little bit but uh, you got to make sure that 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 valve seat is in line with the bore of the of the valve guide, so it so when it hits, that when when that valve cover hits that seat, comes in contact with it, it's coming in contact a full 360 degrees circumference, so it's not hitting it and flexing over. Yeah. So and, and, uh, and to even wear wear it's, uh, it's, it's very important that when machining that seat, that that uh, whichever method you use to machine that seat. Is concentric with the similar that valve guide. I use new one equipment. It's a single point cutter. It's uh, it's programmable. I can put any number of angles or seat grinds on this thing. Uh, on my high performance stuff, it comes in handy because I take what I learned on the faux bench and I can transfer it right over to the computer and cut a series of angles, discrete angles or radiuses. Change the seat angles just by just by program program to the computer where people without that that um, capability are having to use maybe new way cutters, which is in my opinion is for tractors and uh, you know and are heaven forbid stones you know or 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 form tools which which is okay but you got to have a million form tools for the for like uh, the old. Uh, the old style cutters, like the old Peterson cutters and everything, but what I can do, I can look and see what what I want, 
program to the computer. I've got probably 300 valve seat sets up. You know, it's in one Norton with a PW3 cam. And the valve seat and the cams work together for performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, like uh, you know, a, a, a 336 sport cam. Um, you know, you, I have a specific form that I worked out for that to try to, to try to take advantage of low lift flow. Whenever you can institute low lift flow, you, you have more of an opportunity to fill the combustion chamber. You know, getting the flow going early is like putting a cam in with more duration. Lift is one thing, duration is another. And uh, most of the BMW cams are very mild, yeah. you know, and everything. But uh, Seaver Rock's got some, and I've, I've, de I've, I've developed some that uh, I've used in some of the racing bikes that, that, that work real well, where we're running some pretty, pretty, pretty uh, aggressive uh, tappet acceleration figures. You know, you, you know, Airheads are dealing with a flat tappet cam. Right. And uh, you're, you're limited by the diameter of the tappet as, as far as uh, what, how aggressive you can go. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it'd be just about impossible to put a roller cam in a, in a BMW, you know, uh, airhead where you can really run some good figures, you know, because you're limited by that, by that tappet diameter and the weight of the valve train, yeah. you know, and you got a pretty long push rod in the BMW. But uh, anyway, getting back to the heads. And so, uh, you know, we, we pay careful attention to that. Then we make sure that, that the head surface is, is good and good and true. Most time they're, they're, they're a little, they're a little low around the exhaust port because that's where the heat is. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we'll, we'll 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 sometimes have to take a little skim cut on that. And then we have to go back and redo the the squish band around it to, to bring the compression back down to where it's supposed to be. And uh, then we look at the top of the head, look for damage, fin damage. We repair the fins as needed. We look for damage on that eight millimeter stud in the middle. Uh, we we make sure that that they would do a lot of exhaust thread repair. Oh gosh. Um, now, I do my exhaust repair a little differently than way, what most people do. Okay. Most people cut that whole bung off of there, that whole threaded bung. What I do, I set up my mill, and I turn around the outside of it, and I leave a spigot. In other words, I've removed the threads. Yeah. I take a 661 T6 aluminum sleeve, and I, and I thread it with the, with the threads, and I have 2,000 interference fit on it. I then cut down the spigot some, and I press that. I, I, your bike's got that done to it, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, and I, I and I and I press that. I, 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 I there again, you know. I, I heat I heat it and I put it on there. Then I run a heliarc bead around the top of it to 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 locate it, hold it in. Then I mill it back off and bore it, and you can't ever tell it was yeah. ever. It'll, you'd have to really look hard to tell it was there anything yeah. ever done to it. Yeah, I remember. That does two things. Okay, yeah. One thing, it doesn't disrupt the thermal path from the head to the pipe and to that big cooling fin, which, yeah. which which does a lot. So when you cut it, if you were to cut it off. You're going to weld it on there. Regardless of how good your weld is, you're still going to have a thermal barrier there. Yeah. Yep. You know, and um, 
So, so plus the location is the same. There's no chance of having anything misaligned. It's a 66 to 1 T6 sleeve, so it's stronger than that than that aluminum casting. You put a little anti-seize on it, it'll last forever. Right, yeah. If it does happen to fail, all I gotta do is mill that out, pull that thing back off. I've only had to I've only had to repair two of them where people let it get loose again and booger them up, you yeah. know. But uh but that's the important thing. Then the intake manifolds will get loose and people sometimes will neglect to tighten them up. And they'll ruin those threads, so I got to go in and do a very similar thing. That was a good thing to check and when your uh, car's off. Now on the on the high performance uh, motors, the R90s's and, and some of the R100s, what we'll do, we'll cut that whole intake manifold off, and 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 put a tube on there and straighten the intake port out. Oh, okay. So we don't have that curve in there. That that does tremendous things for the airflow. Air does not like internal aerodynamics. Air does not like to make more than a 15 degree t turn mm -hmm. at a at a favorable Mach number of their air velocity in there. You know, the uh, the Mach numbers in the BMW, to get, well, I like to see no less than 0.45, no more than 0.55 Mach number. That's percentage of, of the speed of sound based on 1,132 feet per second at 60 degree dry air. That's, that's the academic thing. And uh, that, that that what we're talking about is the velocity of the air going through the intake port, and uh, it's got a lot to do with with the torque power, the torque, the power the thing produces, and um, if it's too slow, you're going to have port stall. You're going to have problems. If it's too fast, it goes transonic. That presents other problems, and the whole thing's about cylinder fill. We got to get that cylinder. We got to have that volumetric efficiency as much as we can. You know, generally, I think a BMW is good for about 78 to 80% stock. We try to get, um, we, we try to get more. My Norton drag bike, between 68 and 7,200 RPM had a volumetric efficiency of 142%. That, 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 that's like supercharging, turbocharging. Yeah, it got that because I was taking advantage of the uh, of the harmonic intake. I was I was tuning to a specific harmonic, and that was working in conjunction with the exhaust pipe. But we worked real hard to get that. And uh, anything below that RPM, it, it 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 served to not be so good. Yeah, but in that sweet spot. That's where that's where everything happened. So you 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 make sure you stay in that sweet spot with your gearing. And uh, but that's in racing. But uh, um, if you look at that that um, bike I did for uh, that Butler Smith bike that I restored, if you look at the intake manifolds, it's got Makunis on it. I prefer Delordos, but I got the but Makunis what it's had on it. And you look, it's got a very long intake manifold and a and a very uh, specific velocity stack on the end. Uh, sometime when you're over here again, I, I'll show you the the profound effect of velocity stack inlet curves. Okay. How it affects the airflow. You'd be amazed. Wow. Little, little here, little there. It's amazing. I can also show the effects of the valve seats. I got a bunch of test heads and uh, 
I was doing, uh, I did a lot of work for Triumph on their uh, three-cylinder, on their first, their four-cylinder road race bike that they, they, they called call Daytona 600, and then the uh, 675 Triumph that, that they're doing now. But uh, we, we found a lot of horsepower there, and I was helping Eric Buell with his Rotax motors on his bike when he was trying to, before he, all them people messed him up. You know, but that's another story right. too. So, are are and you're still of uh, Memphis Motor Works? You're still doing some work there a little bit. Are you still taking uh, jobs and servicing? I don't advertise for jobs. I try to take care of my my old or existing customers. Hell, man, I you know I'm old. Yeah, man, you know I want to I want to ride. I want I got bikes I want to restore. <laughs> right. But I owe a certain allegiance. I feel I owe a certain allegiance to BMW customers, to Norton customers, Triumph customers, Ducati customers. I built all the Ducati uh, uh, 748 race motors back several years when they, when they were let the 748s run in the 600 class. And uh, we got them little we got them little 748s up to 128 horsepower. So I got to ask you then Leo, who who's going to carry on what you know, you have to be thinking about this a little bit from time to time. I mean, I don't know. It, that, that's the main question I get asked. Right. Um, you know, there's nobody around here that, uh -huh. that that that's really. You know, my son likes it, but he's so heavily involved in in the music scene. You know, yeah, engineering he's a great and producing. As a producer. Oh man, yeah. I mean, he's 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 blowing and going. Hell, you know, hell, he could buy anything he wants right yeah. now. You know, um, he writes triumphs. New triumphs. Yeah. But, um, you know, hell, he's 43 years old. And he's, he's established. You know, he's established and he need you know, and he's too old to start yeah. a life in motorcycles. He can do, he can do things. He, yeah. he's, 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 he's a little better than, than an average mechanic just from the osmosis of growing up. <laughs> With me, you know, but um, but he he chose the the music end of 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 life. You know, he saw me in two different yeah two different arenas, and uh, and uh, so but but no, there's a lot of people say they want to learn, but when I start throwing them engineering books on them and start showing them the theory, no, they're gone, buddy. Yeah. they're gone. You know, <laughs> you know they want you know it's it's we're 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 living in the time. Where young people are into instant gratification. Yeah, you're right. And there ain't nothing instant gratifying about trying to, you know, there's one thing to take to a certain level, but if you go take it on a world class level, it's a whole nother story. It is. It is. Uh, All right, well, let's start because I know you and I are, I'm getting hungry. I want to go out and get something. All right, so let's just hit these kind of last four questions I run by everybody. So, uh, your favorite four airheads from 70 to 95. We got a few of them in oh, here. Okay, my favorite four heads. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, as I'm sitting in this chair looking at maybe what, 40 or 50 by, you know, however many I got in here. My favorite airhead, the Mystic. When I come out here to ride, as you see, what I got a collection of. I got a Goozy, I got three Goozies in here. I got a New Triumph. I got a New Triumph Rocket 3. I got an R9T. I got a Ducati Monster. You know, all this stuff. I got K bikes all over the place. When I come out here, I usually end up throwing my leg over that Mystic. 
It's just, it just feels good. Yeah. If I might throw my leg over the Mystic, I'll throw my leg over that OK 75 there, that one. If, if the mood, if the moves me, I get the RS. Uh, I get the, when I get the S running, I imagine it'll be a go-to. Um, is there one not in here that you really like? That yeah, you R90S yet? back there in the back. Yeah. And R90 slash six. Like those. Um, but uh, right now, the Mystic and the RS, you know. You know yeah, hey, I know. I had both of them. I, I had both, and your buddy friend Fred has both of those yeah. bikes now. Uh, all right, so I want to know your best or worst roadside breakdown repair or oh, mercy i mean you've had probably a few maybe let's focus on the one of the more dramatic ones where you kind of saved the day whether it was for, okay. for you or somebody else yes it didn't involve a bmw that's fine it did involve a north okay we were going to the we were riding to decoy illinois to the flat track races around 1977 i was riding my bmw or on the RS. I was riding that RS. It was brand new. My buddy was riding a Norton Commando. He had a propensity to do wheel stands and burnouts and everything. Okay, we're riding down the road, and, and we had just gotten gas, and he was in the parking lot acting like a damn idiot, doing burnouts in front of some guys on the Hondas. And we're running down the road, we're up about 60 miles an hour, and all of a sudden that back wheel locks up. And he comes to a screeching halt. And so I pull over and everything, and I always carried a bunch of tools with me. And I said, what's wrong? He said, he said man, it just, it just, back wheel just locked up, I almost dropped it, you know, and all the, all the bravado and all the, you know, all the, you know, all the, everything goes along with that. So I went over and looked at it and everything. So well, let's take it out of gear. So it wouldn't come out of gear. Back wheels locked up in fourth gear. And I said, you remember all that burning out you were doing back there? I said, you probably knocked a tooth off a of gear or bent a, or bent a lay shaft or, or destroyed the lay shaft bearing on a Norton, which would, man, you looked at it hard, it would destroy itself. <laughs> and uh, it was a 6203, 6302 bearing anyway, same bearing as in a GM alternator. And uh, what are we gonna do? I said, well, let's, let's get it off the road over here and let's see. So we're on the side of I-55. Oh, good grief. Off the side of I-55, and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. So, so you can pull the outer cover off of a Norton pretty easy. So we laid on its side so we wouldn't lose any oil. So I pull the cover off and I look in there and I see a little, little tooth chipped. I feel the shaft. And so I pulled the, I, so I pulled the inner cover off. I had all, I, I was having a makeshift, I got it off. All it took was a couple of sockets and a, and a hammer and a chisel in lieu of a special tool to remove a, a ring, lock ring. So anyway, so he had chipped a tooth off of first gear, but but the rest tooth was on there, but he had destroyed the lay shaft 
the back, the lace shaft bearing back transmission. As you suspected. So I said, so, I, so anyway, I said, well, you might have bent this shaft. So I was trying to look at it, roll it the best I could on the side of the road, and it looked okay. I said, we're going to have to go find an auto parts store. And I told him, I, I told him about six of us there. And uh, I said, go, go in there and get this number bearing here. So they went to our, and it was very common bearing. And uh, so they found the store and they come back with the bearing. Make a long story short, I put a lay shaft bearing in that, in that transmission, put everything back together, took a file and knocked the, the rough edges off that thing, put it back together and said, if you do another burnout, this old trick, trip, I'm gonna strangle you to death. <laughs> and I'm not gonna fix and it we like got, that. And we got, it, we got up there and got back and we came back, I had to do a complete transmission rebuild on the thing. <laughs> That is the That's pretty most amazing. the most tenuous thing. Now, other than that, uh, things like uh, well, Art was with me on another trip. We're going to Indianapolis flat track. He hadn't put any points in his bike, and he had he he had a rubbing block, so I had to pull the pull the front cover off on the side of the road and just just points back up, you know, until we got back home and. Uh, that and of course everybody's having flat tires on the right, road, yeah, you yeah. know. And um, um, trying to think, you know, clutch cables. Just but but that that was probably that was probably the most nerve wracking. I would imagine so. You know, doing a transmission rebuild on, on, on the side. I-55. You know, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and then we had, you know, then we had, uh, oh, we had a guy riding with a Verta one time and we were going, we are going to some flat track race and, and we get up on, get up about six miles an hour and the motor just died. Boom. Pull over, so what happened? He said, motor died. I said, crank it up. Try to crack it. Crack right up. Go quarter mile, boom, motor die again. I said, okay. So I'm looking at it and hearing it run. And I said, okay, do this, uh, Jerry, which was his name. I said, take your key, open the gas cap, and leave it open. The vent in the gas cap yeah. was failing, and riding the highway speeds, it yep. was forming a vacuum line. I've had that happen yeah. a few times. Thankfully, I that, knew. That was on Gravorta. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of something else. Oh, they had a guy on a slash five that had about 150,000 miles on it. And uh, he wouldn't spend any money on that bike if he had to. We're riding down the road around here going out Shepherd Forest. That thing started running on one cylinder. And he says, run on one cylinder. I said, well, maybe it's foul to plug. So I Swap plugs out with the other side still going. So I said, I, I said, something else is going on here. And because uh, it was still running on one cylinder. And so I said, let's pull the valve covers off. So I pulled the valve covers off, and the exhaust valve on the right hand side had recessed so much that his valve clearance went away. I adjust the valve out a little bit, says, we got to do a valve job on this. Yeah, big time. You know. All right, next one, Leo. Uh, so again, let's stick with the 70 to 95 model run, the 247 engine. One design change you would make, you go back to BMW and say, look, 
Y'all really F this up. I'm, I'm getting in the time machine. I'm going to make this one mechanical engineering design change on that model on that model run. What, what it's, that? Got, it's got to be the cir transmission circuit. I think I fixed one for you, didn't I? I don't think, no. Okay, transmission circuit by, by far. Um, that, that, that's the real, that, that, that's, that's got my head scratching. As efficient as these German engineers are, why they would do that? Is, uh, is 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 incredible, and um, that and I would have liked to have seen them put electronic ignitions on the earlier bikes. Sooner than they did. Yeah, sooner than they did, and I would like to have seen them use a different manufacturer of the Hall Effect sensors on the K bikes. Um. And I think that they, they they really dropped the ball on some of the exhaust valve seats on some of the uh, mid-80s. That was the problem. Yeah, you know, and uh, they, they came out with some different things on that. That was inexcusable as far as I'm concerned. And, um, you know, as smart as they are, they, they've had some big boo-boos, but, boy, they need to have their butt kicked for leaving that circle up out, those transmissions. That, that I mean, that's an expensive job. Yeah. You know, and it's a you got to do it. Event, I mean, it, it's it's a ticking time bomb. You know, and uh, and I really think they 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 really really brought those brought the airheads up up to the twenty first century and went to Nicosil cylinders. I'm a firm believer in Nicosil cylinders, and uh, and that that those are good for durability and they got some performance aspects too. I had uh, on my 90s, I had them swapped over to nickel cell. Yeah, that, that's the best thing. Yeah, and um, and um, I guess other than that, you know, there's always little little yeah. um, things going on. But those are the those, those are the high points. All right, last question, Leo. Uh, everybody wants to know. What brand oil do you oh, run in your or in your area? The oil thing. <laughs> and here's a, predictably, everybody's given a different answer. Well, one thing you got to have an oil. You know, because of oils are made for automotive use. Automotives cars have had catalytic converters for quite some time now. They, 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 they found out that the zinc and the phosphorus was ruining the cats, you know, in the oil. So, so they, they, they knocked that down. Flat tappet motor has got to have zinc and phosphorus in it, um, especially during break-in. So the automotive, the automotive oils that we used to be able to use are no longer suitable for these engines and everything. So you got to have something with some, you know, it's called ZDDP, zinc, that, uh, Big word, zinc. That, uh, that, yeah. Well, and P is phosphorus. Right. So anyway, um, so the motorcycles don't. The motorcycle oils don't don't fall under the same API ratings that that the automobile oils fall under. A lot of the automobiles oils did have some of the, some of the uh, diesel oils, Rotellas and the Delos, Delo four hundred. They had good zinc rating. They've taken that out now. So you really need to stick with a motorcycle or an oil made for older engines that, that has a uh, good, good degree. You can't have too much zinc in there. That creates problems too. But um, 
uh, Golden Spectro has 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 stuck with a good formula. They were making the BMW oils. That's right. You yeah. know, and uh, Maxima, Maximum, Maxima, for H four something like that is good oil. Um, uh, Castrol has just come out with a Castrol Classic GTX, oh, really? which which is advertised for classic. You know, cause you know, yeah. flat tap it. Yeah. Be the Chevrolet of Ford, uh, BMW, Norton Triumph, you know, all that is highly dependent upon that. Um, the, the highest wear loading is, is is the interface between the camshaft and the lifter. Mm-hmm. That's where you got direct metal metal contact. That's where that that's where that hydraulic wedge is more likely to break down. Where, where that that's where it's more likely to break down. So um, so. Um, so that, that's why you got to have zinc in there and everything. Now, there's some oils. Uh, 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 Brad Penn oils. I've heard that mentioned Okay. Before. Now, they've been sold a couple of times, but now it's, it's under a, a brand called Driven that's um, based out of Memphis here. Really? Okay. They have an oil that is designed for flat tappet motors and also designed for motors that set for long periods of time. It has some inhibitors in it. When oil sets, especially with combustion happening, it builds up. It builds up acids. That acid will acid etch the bab- well, the, the, the bearing, not babbing anymore, but the bearings, your rod bearings, your main bearings, in the air, in, in your uh, slash fives and up. The, the the slash twos are all roller bearing motors. Whole right. different deal. Right, right. Whole different requirement. But you still have you still have that, that flat tap and that cam. But this uh, driven oil has got additives to keep the oxidation down in the oil. So, so um, I just started using it. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But the, but I know I know a couple of the petroleum engineers over there, and I, I've expressed the, the the problems with the lifter cam interface. They said, "Oh yeah, no problem there," and uh, and and it'll it'll, it'll do well. So uh, you want to stick with the motorcycle oil? On the airheads, we're not mixing the oil with the transmission and the clutch, right. so we don't need a 4T. You know, so but we want it, we want, you know, somewhere around 17, 1800, you know, ppm of, of, of zinc and phosphorus in it. So that's uh th- th- those are good holes, right. you know, and everything. And man, you can yeah, th- this thing ad nauseum on oils. Oh, I know. You know, yeah. everybody's got an own opinion, but but I'm seeing the pits in the cams. I'm seeing the pits, you know, I'm seeing the wear in the cams and the pits in the cam followers, not only in BMWs, but Norton Triumphs, yeah. you know, uh, and some of the automotive stuff I do. And we see the effects of what's going on when the oil is is not right and when it's been in there too long and it's got contaminants in it. So, you know, so, uh, but it's, I think I think you go with, you know, the uh, Golden Spectro is good. Maxima's good. This this Driven's good. Any of the old Brad Penn stuff you get good. This new Castro looks like it's going to be pretty good, and it's readily available. You can buy five quarts for twenty bucks. That's a good price. And uh, that's a good price. And uh, and uh, so anyway, you know that, that, that's all I really want to say about it. <laughs> You know, man, I, that, that that horse has been that, that horse been dead for forty years it and has. still beating it. it has. So, well, look, Leo. Hey, man, I appreciate you taking some time to sit down and talk today. 
Uh, on behalf of every, we had some friends of yours walk in. So we have Snowden Todd over here, who owns no telling how many BMW Airheads. We got Nick over here, who exclusively BMW Airheads, right. just about, you know. So, uh, well, on behalf of everybody uh, listening, uh, who's worked with you, uh, whose bikes you've helped keep running over the years, thanks very much, oh, and keep welcome. up the good work. I appreciate people still sending me work, still thinking about me. Yeah. I'm not soliciting. But I'm going to help whoever I can. And if folks want to find you uh, on the on the webs, they can look at uh, Facebook Leo Goff Motorcycles at Memphis Motor Works. You can see the equipment there. You can see how we do the cylinder heads. You can actually see the machines in operation. And um, and um, yeah, that, that, that's that that it, it's real good. I'll try to keep it updated. I'm not keeping it updated as much as I used to because. I'm not doing as much. Well, uh, you might now, because folks will hear this. They're probably going to go start looking at it. So. Yeah, but um, they called me, and I, you know, said send it in. You know, and I, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm not really going after engine builds as much as I, I like to do head work, cylinder boring. You know, and uh, high performance head work and everything. You no know, flow bench work. It, you know, it's not cheap, but yeah. it's good. Yeah. You know. But anyway, Darren, enjoyed it. Thank you, Leo. Thank you so much. You bet, buddy. A big thanks to Leo for taking time to be on the program. And thank you, Leo, for all the work you've done keeping vintage cars and motorcycles on the road over all these years. If you want to drop a line to Leo, his email is in the description section of this program. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our theme music is from Jimbo Mathis. You can find him on the web at therealjimbomathis.com. Our producer-engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time.